Thais, it is absolutely wonderful to have you on Uncover Wealth Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you. Excellent. So tell me, what is attachment theory? So attachment theory, in the best way I can encompass it, would be sort of as an analogy. Mm. You can think of the fact that we all basically make attachment bonds with our caregivers at a very young age. And as we grow up, these bonds and the way we learn to relate to our caregivers at this young age basically becomes our subconscious set of rules for how we learn to connect with everybody. Mm. And the analogy I often give to people is you can imagine that if you have a different attachment style and you're in a relationship with that person, it's sort of like you're playing a board game with somebody, but you have a different rule book that you're playing by. And you can imagine like all the unnecessary friction that would arise. Mm. So attachment theory was originally generated by John Bowlby, but a lot of different people have gone on to build a lot of sort of contemporary theories around how this further impacts our adult relationships. And what I found is that there's sort of major segments that our attachment style affects our relationships within. And it's basically, we all have a specific subconscious set of needs in a relationship. According to our attachment style, we have a specific set of ways that we give and receive love. Mm -hmm. So one person might give love through acts of service, for example, which is one of Gary Chapman's love languages as well. And another attachment style might give love through words of affirmation and they can be speaking two different love languages to each other and not necessarily receiving them from the other end. So there's a big sort of you know, elephants in the room that way. Mm. And then we all have different belief patterns we carry into relationships according to our attachment styles and and core wounds. So people, you know, somebody who's more anxious in a relationship might feel I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be alone. And somebody who's more dismissive might be like, I feel trapped. I feel powerless. And so people have these different sort of perceptual lenses. They come into a relationship with all because of the subconscious programs they picked up in their early childhood. And every single person has an attachment style, whether they know it or not, (laughs) it is there for every single individual. And this impacts all relationships, correct? So it's the relationships that we now have with our own children. And it's the relationships that we have with our clients in our business or our vendors or our business partners or our employees. It's It's all relationships that this is impacting, presumably. Yes, literally all relationships. So what you'll see, for example, is we will take this, you know, I always say to people sort of the relationship you have with your caregivers largely impacts your worldview. Mm. If you struggled with your caregivers and you felt that they were too authoritative growing up, you know, chances are you're going to struggle with authority in your adult life and you're going to not like working underneath somebody in some form. So, so things sort of show up in all these different ways, but they absolutely, our attachment style impacts our friendships, romantic relationships, working relationships, you know, relationships of basically every form. Mm. So how do we fix it? The best way to, to identify any problem is first we have to isolate that problem as clearly and specifically as possible. Yeah. So yeah. what I'll do, if, if this works with you, I'll, I'll go through and give a little summary of each attachment mm-hmm. style first so people can really see like which one they are. You right. should be able to tell from, from, from a conversation about it. And then I'll give a couple subconscious reprogramming tools to help yeah. people sort of learn how to transform this. So the first one is the securely attached individual. And this is what we're basically all trying to move to towards. Okay. Securely attached person, you know, if we're not there already, the securely attached person basically learns very healthy rules for relating and research shows they have the most successful long-term relationships, thriving relationships, um, whether it's with friendships, whether it's just really healthy relationships with coworkers, et cetera. Mm. The securely attached person in their childhood, they basically learn that their needs are worthy of being met. 
And so they learn if they get a lot of attention, if they get a lot of connection and it's consistent and safe. And if when they cry as children, they're tended to, basically it gives a subconscious emotional inference that, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, your your needs matter. And we're trying to, you know, we're here for you. And what's really interesting, and I know your podcast is Uncover Wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, What's really interesting is that I find that there's a massive impact also in somebody's subconscious ability to receive according to their belief in their self-worth. Yes. And a lot of people who I notice struggle with patterns of money are insecurely attached people. And I think this is because if we don't learn this proper fundamental tool at a young age that says, hey, we are worthy just as we are, because we get love just as we are, not because we have to earn it, not because we have to find ways to get our parents' attention, but because we naturally receive it, this impacts a lot of subconscious belief patterns people carry around money as well. And the more guilt and shame somebody carries around their inner psyche and inner world, the less likely they are to feel worthy, deserving, take opportunities, receive, put themselves up there, all those different things. So the secure person learns all the healthy patterns basically Mm -hmm. in the sector. And they go out into their adult lives to feel naturally more confident, more trusting in relationships because they had a lot of positive subconscious emotional associations regarding relationships in their early upbringing. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're trying to get to basically. Then we have our three insecurely attached individuals. And at basically one end of the continuum is the dismissive avoidant. And the dismissive avoidant is somebody in childhood who basically gets some form of emotional neglect. Mm. And it can be like, you know, very intense neglect where there's also physical neglect and the parents Mm -hmm. are actually neglectful people. Mm -hmm. Or it can be under the radar emotional neglect where the child's needs are met in terms of food on the table and, you know, having a safe home and things like that. But there's no emotional availability with the parent and there isn't an emotional bond built. And because we're all inherently wired for this and because it's one of, you know, one of our three biological fears is the fear of abandonment. And we register that fear from a lack of emotional bonding between a parent and caregiver. Mm. What happens is a child, basically their whole early upbringing feels rejected because this inherent part of themselves that they desire to connect over isn't being nourished. Mm. And a child's mind can't go, oh, you know, my parents are emotionally unavailable. So a child goes, there must be something wrong with me. And this creates a lot of subconscious shame. Mm. And one of the big fundamental core wounds of the dismissive avoidance, there must be something wrong with me. I am defective. And I really deeply believe that this is, I would say out of any attachment style on average, dismissive avoidance do tend to have the most self-defeating patterns with money, which is a very interesting sort of correlation. So unless of course they're doing like active work and healing is around it. So, so we have our dismissive avoid in here and then we have, and basically they go, they grow up in their adult lives to fear intimacy and commitment and closeness because they've got a lot of subconscious stored associations that that doesn't feel good. That just gets me rejected. Mm-hmm. So we'll see the dismissive avoidant person in their adult lives feel unsafe, being vulnerable, always kind of keeping a wall up with other people, maybe feeling comfortable in friendships, but really when it comes to the vulnerability of romantic relationships, these people are the commitment mm-hmm. folks. These are... Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the people that want, ah, I need space. I don't want to get too close because they look at their past and at this subconscious filter from their past experiences and they go, that doesn't feel good. We know this. We tried this already. So then we have basically at the opposite end of the continuum in a way are anxious, preoccupied individuals. And these individuals often get into relationships with the dismissive avoidant. And you can imagine how this <laughs> will go. Must, yeah, that must <laughs> work out well, that. And so these anxious individuals often have really strong fears of abandonment. And it can be because there was an abandonment, like, you know, a, a caregiver passed away or they were put up for adoption or something like this. 
Or it can be because there was literally just perceived abandonment. There was a, a situation or a set of situations, maybe mom and dad were really available, but they worked a lot. And so there's inconsistency. And so it consistently gets registered as this, like, I'm going to be left at any time. And it deeply impacts not just our subconscious mind, but our nervous system. And so this individual grows up to always need more closeness, more hunger for, for bonding, more basically reinforcement that they're not going to be left because they're trying to avoid this registered wound. Mm -hmm. And then we have this individual in their adult lives or the people who sort of seem to be the needy ones or the clingy ones or the ones who call all the time or don't mm -hmm. know how to respect people's boundaries for space. And, and then we often get both of those parties together in, in relationships. And I think because they subconsciously both have the shadows of one another. Yeah. Yeah. So they subconsciously represent a comfort zone for each other. The dismissive has an anxious relationship to themselves mm. and the anxious has a dismissive relationship to themselves. They're always trying to push themselves away in favor of other people. And then our very last one is the fearful avoidant. And the mm. fearful avoidant basically has both sides of the attachment continuum. They have anxious moments where they fear abandonment, but they also fear commitment. And it's because they usually get very competing associations for what love is and what it means in childhood. And fearful avoidance is one that's most characterized by going through trauma. Okay. So you can imagine, for example, a really classic example could be somebody grows up in a home where they have like an alcoholic parent. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes mom or dad, whoever it might be, is very loving mm -hmm. and they get lots of good associations. This feels good. And other times this person's yeah. scary and unpredictable. And so what this person learns is like, love is good and I want love, but it terrifies me at the same yeah. time. And we'll get a lot of this, like, come, come here, get close. And somebody gets close. It's like, nope, go away, get back. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is the hot and cold person you'll see in their adult lives. And this is largely characterized by a belief that there, somebody will be betrayed. You know, the, the fearful avoidant has this big core wound. Like I will be betrayed at any point in time. I can't trust. And it's because if your trust associations are, are broken early on, we carry those, of course, into our adult lives. So those are the four major attachment styles. And hopefully people can sort of identify a little bit with like mm. their childhood and some big patterns that they might see within themselves or a partner that they, they care for. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there's a lot of things I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute for myself. But I'm also thinking, oh my goodness, I can really, really mess up my kids if I'm not incredibly careful. And so here's a couple of things. So a lot of people, we have to remember, like we have neuroplasticity. So the subconscious mind is basically, it's firing and wiring new neural pathways all the time. And you can think of like your, your brain as sort of an analogy. You could think of it as like a muscle. Mm -hmm. So we know that, that our muscles atrophy over time. If we work our biceps out every single day and then we stop, like our muscles are going to shrink and things like this. And so we can think of like our neural pathways as forming that way. The more we fire and wire something, the stronger of a pathway we build. Mm -hmm. If we withdraw from firing and wiring, let's say a certain way we're looking at things or a belief pattern we have, it atrophies over time. Mm -hmm. So when we make like a mistake with the child, because I know a lot of parents parents would be like, oh no, I can't <laughs> do anything wrong. Yeah. And when we make a mistake with a child or if something ever happens, you know, maybe they, they see parents fighting or maybe they see somebody shut down or whatever it might be. That's not necessarily going to have enough of an impact to make like a new neural paradigm. that's going to outweigh the old perceptual views that a person has immediately. It's going to take some time and all we have to do when we're looking. So how we reprogram things mm. is we're going to sort of capitalize on that idea. We're going to capitalize on the concept that like, okay, we have a belief pattern 
And if we don't want this dysfunctional belief pattern, we want to equilibrate that belief pattern. And how the subconscious mind is reprogrammed is through repetition plus emotion. So let's say somebody makes a mistake with their child and they're very critical the first five years of the child's life. And maybe it's because they think I have to prepare my child for like their adult lives and I have to be harsh on them so they get everything right and I'm protecting them. And then maybe later it's like, oh, wait, that actually might have a a more negative detrimental impact to self-esteem. So all you would do is you'd be like, okay, what core wound or what belief pattern might I have implanted that way? Mm -hmm. And what would be the opposite of that? Because we're trying to equilibrate and basically the brain is designed to get to homeostasis. So we can go, okay, maybe the child feels like they're not good enough or not smart enough or not funny enough or whatever it might be. Okay. I'm going to tell them otherwise. And I'm going to rinse and repeat in a way that creates an emotional reaction. I'm going to tell them they are good enough Mm -hmm. as often as possible. And the brain, a lot of people do affirmations and that's good. We got the repetition in there, but the, mm-hmm. the subconscious mind's language is not, you know, English, for example, the subconscious yes. mind's language is emotion and imagery. So the more we can speak to that, we can go, you're good enough because of this. And we can tell them the thing that they did and they get that picture in their mind with all that emotion attached to it. The more we can lace those things in there and, and give that emotion, give that imagery, we're actually speaking to those subconscious programs. And when we re- repeat it, we're actually firing and wiring new neural pathways over and over again, while these old ones atrophy. And so that's like one way, there's many different ways we can reprogram, but that's a very simple one that a lot of people will resonate with. And we can apply that to our own lives as well. Anything we want to break through emotion and imagery and repetition. That's exactly what I was going to ask next is if we identify as one of these things and we think, hang on a minute, this is clearly having an impact on, you know, not necessarily just my romantic relationships, but all relationships in my life. I can see, hang on, I got I got this thing that I now can see and I'm a bit worried about this. How do we go about doing the work on ourselves to change that so that we can live a more balanced, healthier (laughs) life with ourselves? Yeah. So it's a great question. So really it's, there's core things for each individual, but I would say dismissive avoidance, the one that are afraid of commitment and often shut down. And, you know, we say afraid of commitment, but this really spills into like afraid of commitment to a certain job, Mm -hmm. to a certain degree, afraid of commitment to moving to a new place, afraid of a lot of, yes. Mm -hmm. And, and so this individual, they do well to use exposure work. So exposing themselves to um, new things in very subtle sort of baby steps over time, because we're trying to get that concept, the repetition that elicits an emotional response. And the more we can do that. So let's say, let's say a really small example is somebody wants to speak up more in the office and they are afraid of even committing to that. They're like, oh, I don't want my opinions to be shared. They value their privacy too much. They have that internal shame wound as well. So they don't want to be, you know, seen too much or, you know, humiliated in public as a huge fear for dismissive avoidance. So they might practice like on a, on a small level, speaking up in front of one coworker. And then they have to intentionally elicit a positive emotional response. Like good for me. I did that. I'm courageous. We have to create conscious thoughts, not subconscious program thought that's just running on autopilot, conscious thought that elicits an emotional response in relationship to that action. 
And when we rinse and repeat that over time and we keep taking bigger steps, so I talk to one coworker and then I talk in front of two coworkers and then I tell my boss my opinion. And then I talk in that one smaller meeting and then the, the larger meeting. As we do that, it's, it's really oriented breakthrough work. Um, and it has an impact on our subconscious mind. And if we repeat things for 21 days in that form, part of why you hear all the time, oh, it takes 21 days to create a habit is because it takes 21 days to create a subconscious program that's sticking. Mm. So that's the point. So that's, so this individual does well to do exposure work on um, vulnerability, um, to do belief work on shame. So like, instead of looking for why I'm shameful, what can I be proud of in my life? Because that's the equilibrating factor. And also doing a little bit of commitment or doing a little bit of belief reprogramming work on I'm trapped or I am helpless because they feel very afraid with, with closeness that way. So, okay, why am I free in a relationship? Like, why is it okay to have boundaries in a relationship and to speak up and to feel free? And so that's that's sort of some a good place to start for the dismissive avoidant. And then for the anxious person on the other end, a good place for them to start is like, in the relationship to themselves, they have to stop abandoning themselves. Mm. Often what we feel so pained by in other people is a direct reflection of how we treat the relationship to ourselves. So if you look at the anxious person, they're often in a perpetual state of self-abandonment. And so of course, when they make a bond, they're like, my gas tank's empty, please fill it up. Like right now I can't live without it. And of course we get the, the clingy patterns of behavior for these individuals. So that person will do really well to work on meeting their own needs, expressing their needs, having boundaries so that they can actually have a sense of self. And then of course, doing reprogramming around, I'm abandoned, I'm alone, I'm excluded as a big core wound, I don't belong, basically anything around um, feeling disconnected from people. Mm. And fearful avoidance, they want to do work on all of that because they have both <laughs> sides of the attachment spectrum. Yeah. And they want to do work on, I can trust. Mm. And that same principle applies. Like if that person is carrying a lot of pain points around trust in other people, it's going to directly reflect something in the relationship to themselves. And fearful ones are constantly betraying their own trust because they're horrible with setting boundaries as a general rule, mm. not because they're not capable or anything like that. They're very smart, capable people, but usually part of their survival strategy in childhood, let's pretend we go back to that alcoholic parent mm. is I have to abandon myself to please others or to connect to others. And that's how I stay safe. And yeah. so forego their boundaries literally as a survival skill. And that really needs to be cleaned up because that's the ultimate self-betrayal. Yeah, absolutely. This is honestly fascinating. So, and one thing that really spoke to me actually was really interesting when you were speaking about that co-working example was, you know, being proud of yourself that you'd done it. You weren't actually looking for recognition from the co-worker that you'd done it. It was actually the internal recognition of yourself rather than anyone else. 100%. And the reason that we have to be so aware of these patterns is because wherever we have a core wound, I give this idea of like, we sort of have these buckets for life. Mm -hmm. And wherever we have a wound, we have a big hole in our bucket. Mm -hmm. So if we all have a, a basic human need, for example, for significance, which we do, mm -hmm. and then we are shaming ourselves all day in our mind, right? Because we have this wound that was the imprint of a past experience. And what the mind does is it reprojects to stay safe. So we get imprints on our subconscious from childhood. We go, okay, I have to remember that I'm defective 
because then I can protect myself from showing it and I can stay safe or I have to remember I'm not good enough or that I might be abandoned so I can do things about, right? So, mm-hmm. so in, in doing that, we just basically, we perpetuate this whole dynamic and it's occurring. Yeah, yeah. So when we can go, okay, I have a hole in my bucket. What we'll see is that hole is actually with ourselves first. We, we are shaming, you know, we had that wound a long time ago in childhood. How is it still alive in our psyche? How is it not actually? Yeah. And it's because we are doing that in the relationship to ourselves. We became our, our caregiver in our own relationship, right? We became, we internalized our parents and we became that on us. So we have to go back in there and find those painful patterns and be like, what is that for me? Where are those things? What were my biggest unmet needs? What were my most painful experiences? And what did I make them mean about me? And how can I change that story? And how can I meet those needs? And so that's the work because we also will block ourselves from receiving because our mind is designed to create a subconscious comfort zone. If I believe I'm shameful and then somebody wants to give me words of affirmation, somebody wants to acknowledge me, you can bet that this little filtering mechanism in my brain called the RAS is going to filter that right out or deflect or not receive because my subconscious goes, no, this is what we know. And this is how we stay safe. And I'm not going to accept anything out of my little safety net here because familiarity equals safety and safety equals survival. And the subconscious is very survival oriented. So we have to clean up the relationship to ourselves first to even receive anything from the outside or to even have a harmonious dynamic with anybody, a boss, whoever it might be um, in our external relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's incredible that we're all actually getting on as a species with all these, <laughs> with all these kind of relationship issues that that we, you know, clearly that we have, and um, you know, not necessarily through any kind of fault in inverted commas of our parents, who, in the most part, I'm sure, do the best that they can and whatnot. But it's incredible to think that we're, you know, a lot of us are carrying these wounds all our lives and perhaps only now kind of realizing that actually these, this is, uh oh, this is me, you know, listening to this episode and going, oh yeah, hang on a minute. Yes, I do do that. Oh wait, yeah, I do do that. So, so yeah, it's, it, this has been uh, just incredibly insightful and incredible information. How can people find out more about you? Where can they go? How can they, you know, get, get more into doing this work for themselves. Yeah. Thank you. So I, um, I have a website called personal development school.com. Right. We actually have a free attachment style quiz on the website that comes with like a one page report and then a video report about sort of like your patterns, your dynamics that goes really into detail. Perfect. Um, so they can check that out. And then, um, we have, uh, I have a free like I put free daily content out on YouTube at personal development school dash Gibson. There's a tremendous amount of information there. And inside the personal development school in our members area, I have over 35 courses that I've written and, and recorded and we do four live weekly webinars and all these different things. So there's tremendous amounts of information and, and what either boundaries or reprogramming your subconscious mind or codependency or reprogramming your attachment style, all these different things. Beautiful. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes so that everyone can come and check out your YouTube, check out your site and check out your courses and programs and membership and things as well. It has been incredible to speak to you. I know that I have learned a lot. I am sure that our listeners have learned a lot. Thank you so much for being on Uncover Wealth Radio. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. 
So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do like what I share, please do come and subscribe to the podcast, perhaps even leave a review so that other people can find this podcast as well and benefit from everything that I am sharing. Also, if you enjoyed, I would love if you want to take a screenshot of this episode, share it out onto your social media platforms. If you do, please, please do tag me. I'm Annette underscore Fergs on both Twitter and Instagram. So if you tag me, I can come along, give you a follow, give you a like and some love over there as well. Until next time.